Welcome, everybody, to the Roots Podcast. I am your host, Sean Pitcher. Today, we actually have on our first double guest on the Roots Podcast today. Um, Both of them come from Seton Hall. Uh, The first is RJ Burgers. He is the Associate Professor in the Department of Athletic Training at Seton Hall. And then we have Angelo Gingarelli, who is the Assistant Training Conditioning Coordinator at Seton Hall. Um, Welcome, both of you, to the Roots Podcast. Thanks Thanks for having us, Sean. Thanks for having us. Um, so the question I always want to start out with, with anybody they bring on this podcast, and I'll kind of start with one of you guys at a time. Um, we'll start with RJ first. What is your roots, right? We all know that you guys, you know, you're an athletic trainer, you're a professor, Angela, you're a strength and conditioning coach, but what is the roots behind your titles and names? Who are you? We'll start with RJ first. Yeah, so uh, I am uh, an athletic trainer of over 25 years at this point. Um, got into the profession thinking that, um, you know, I wanted to be around sports and still provide healthcare and, and, and help other people. So that's how I originally got started with things. And then, as you know, things kind of evolve, right? So um, I ended up getting my PhD in uh, human movement science, which is pretty much biomechanics. And, you know, once you have an advanced degree, tend to move over to uh, the teaching side of things and, and go with uh, a little bit more regular hours, so to say, and, um, <laughs> you know, the, the grind that that working through athletics actually is. But, um, you know, at, at heart, I'm an athletic trainer um, and, you know, I'm always trying to um, prevent injuries from happening, understand why they're happening and, and see what we can't do to uh, address those things. Terrific. And Angelo? I just want to go all the way back my roots are in powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting. Got really into that as a teenager, early 20s. I don't want to be a conditioning coach. And unlike RJ, I haven't gone to my senses yet and gotten out of the athletic side of things. I've been in Seton Hall for 18 years. I do adjunct teach a couple classes a year, which I really enjoy. But the majority of my time is spent in the weight room with our student athletes, writing and implementing programs to help them maximize their athletic potential. And then kind of in my early, about 10, 50 years of competing in powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting, I got really into running and marathons. And I got or the, the roots of me and RJ working together are about 10 years ago. He was new coming back to seeing all as a professor. I've been a strength coach for four or five years at that point. And we were running together a couple of days a week after work. We just hit it off, did a couple of races together and got really into the endurance world. He was a couple of steps ahead of me in that, but I kind of followed his footsteps. And that's where we got the idea for Finish Strong and the book and the idea of kind of bringing our worlds together. And that resistance training is not just for, you know, weightlifters and football players and shot putters, but really good for the distance people as well. And, and I felt the thing that was really unique about both of you. I mean, we, we see a lot in athletics. People are constantly moving from school to school to school to school for a variety of different reasons, whether it's pay, whether it's a, a higher level position, you know, but both of you guys, and I know you guys have been there for different amounts of time, but when we kind of talked offline, you know, you've almost been there together for about 10 years. So could you guys kind of discuss how you guys work together as a unit and, and how important having that front together as a team is when you're working with your athletes? Yeah. Angel, so RJ, if you want to start first, I would say, yeah, sure. I would say that, um, you know, it's for us two working together, it's a little bit different at this point because I'm fairly removed from the day-to-day uh, treatment of any of our athletes. So with me, I'm more or less the biome- uh, biomechanist that 
you know, the athletic training staff, strength and conditioning staff would send athletes to, if they're looking for them for return to play, uh, or if we're looking to, you know, run some kind of a biomechanical analysis, just to kind of see, you know, if we can figure out why they might be struggling with something. So um, it's, it's quite different and it's quite unique. Um, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not involved in the day to day. We do have uh, some interesting collaborations in some of the research projects uh, that I have going on. And so, um, you know, and Angelo is like a key person involved with, with one of our upcoming uh, neck strengthening studies. And so since he's actually going to be guiding the student athletes uh, through it, who are going to be, you know, the, the subjects or our research participants, um, you know, he has that stake in things. So we constantly have to have, you know, good communication. Um, and it's great, especially if I'm coming up with a research project to be able to bounce ideas off of each other. So mm -hmm. I remember when, you know, as I was, you know, writing up the proposal for, for this next strengthening one, I, I had to actually ask him, I said, Hey, what are you guys doing in there right now? And, you know, what could be done different? And, you know, what could we be, what should we be measuring? What's, you know, so um, there's, there's constant collaboration back and forth. I think one of the things is we're really comfortable with one another and we each know what the other person is, um, you know, we know what, um, oh, what do I want to say? I, we know what, what they, um, what they know, what they value and things like that and what they bring to the table. So it's easy to get, you know, collaborations like that. And then I'll, I'll let Ange kind of take it from there and see what, what he has to say. Right. And I think one, one thing, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of young professionals listen to the show, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing for any of our jobs to work well and to really serve our student athletes, whether it's strength and conditioning, nutrition, dietetics, athletic training, sport coaching, we have to work together damn, right? It doesn't work if me and the athletic trainer is, are not on the same page of what our student athletes can and can't do, where their needs are, where their injury states are, right? So even though our RJ isn't just real quick, Seton Hall is two different campuses and we've been on oh. different campuses for the last five, five or six years. And he's in a super high end uh, biomechanics lab with you know everything you could want to work with in that setting. And I'm on the main campus for student athletes day to day. Right. So I'm, I'm communicating with our athletic trainers daily, getting injury reports, going over them. This person can't do box jumps today. This person can progress to the next level of upper body training, whatever it might be. But where RJ comes in the last couple of years, kind of exactly what he said, with his research studies and can I help implement and give you a, a pretty good size sample size from our athletic department and help your students get published. That's always something I like to be a part of. And then number two, the last couple of years, since you opened up the new biomechanics lab, we're doing a lot of stuff with our baseball players, particularly our pitchers, that, you know, from my perspective, we're doing everything we can, right? We're doing the throwing program progression the right way. We're doing things right in the weight room, but there's either something missing or the kids want to go to the next level. Can we go and have a look at what they're doing biomechanically and have RJ take a look at them and make small changes on with the pitching coach? I think that's the thing where a lot of times people think you have to be at a, a UCLA or a North Carolina or a Michigan or Ohio State to make that kind of ha thing happen. But if you're happening on your campus and you can get to know some people and establish good working relationships like, like me and RJ and other people have on campus, you can really get, you know, use a cliche, but you can do more with less resources sometimes if your relationships are strong and know who to call at the right time. Yeah, I would definitely I, agree with that. I, I mean, I'm, 
my, my undergrad, I was at Buffalo state, you know, I was at a D three school and we had absolutely nothing. So the creativity we had to have figuring out ways to, to raise money for, for the weight room, just to get bands and balls and just really basic level stuff. So that way we can keep the, the weight room running and doing the things that we need to do. Um, I, I think definitely helps, you know, if, if you're someone who is going into the strength conditioning field or going to some of these fields and like, you want to go to all, like you said, Angelo, all the big D one places first, like that's cool to have all the glitz and glam, but your ability to be actually really creative and have to think on the spot and be flexible and also have to work with multiple teams back to back to back to back. Like it takes a special individual to be able to do that. Like instead of just having one team, you train them for two hours and then that's your day. I was just going to say, I, I think what you're almost bringing up, Sean is, <clears throat> is being resourceful. Right. Yes. And you always got to take a look at who's around you. And, you know, as you're going to, if you want to practice interprofessionally, it's important to know and understand what each of these different people bring to the table, develop a little bit of trust with them, and then start to bring them in and, and incorporate them, you know, slowly. So I think, I think that is, is one of the keys to, uh, to kind of setting things up so that you can really run, really run with it and then actually, you know, kind of grow the program. Um, I'm fortunate in that, you know, I don't know if that there would be a ton of buy-in for someone that's doing, you know, biomechanical studies. The, I'm fortunate in that I was previously um, on the athletic training staff years ago at Seton Hall. So I actually know a bunch of the coaches already. So I, I already have that established relationship. Um, I know Angelo, I've known the, um, I've known Tony Testa, our uh, director of sports medicine for years. And, you know, you just have that buy-in and then people understand what you bring to the table. And then we've really incorporated a lot more of like the, the biomechanical analyses. Um, and it's, it's been pretty good. People understand too, that it's, it's a selling point for a student athlete. If you can say, yeah. Hey, you know, um, if you're, if you're the baseball coach and you're recruiting and you say, Hey, at least once a year, you're going to be heading over to the lab. We're going to do a pitching analysis with you. We're then going to identify if there's things that we need to tweak and work on. Um, it's that's a really good selling point. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's to kind of reiterate, it's just really important to, um, you know, know who's around and know how to use them. Go ahead, you know, the only thing I would say real quick too, in our, in our professions, they sometimes you got to know what you don't know. Right. Like, I feel like if I'm if I'm training a pitcher, I can do a pretty good job of getting that guy pretty big and strong to throw a baseball hard. Right. But if he's dropping his elbow at the wrong point or he's overextending his knee at one point, that's way out of my wheelhouse. Right. But I can definitely refer that person and the pitching coach over to RJ and they can take a look at that. That's super slow-mo or, you know, in the right context and make some of the changes and work together. And that person gets better. Right. I think a lot of times in our profession, if you try to do things that you really don't know and overextend yourself, that's when you end up giving bad. Yeah, I always tell people as far as nutrition goes, I'll tell you, and I, I know some wide things, some kind of basic stuff, but beyond that, you really got to go to someone who knows the game kind of like you do. Um, kind of like I know the weight room or is a training room. At some point, you want to find it, find an expert and, and someone can dive a little deeper in your specific case. Yeah, and that's that's like one of my big things is anytime I go somewhere new, I'm trying to visit 
any any school possible and no matter what the level is i don't care if it's d2 d3 pro level NIA, naia like whatever it is i'm gonna go meet those professionals and figure out like how they do stuff at that level because you never know what type of information you're going to be able to bring to your own situation that may apply and actually may help you improve your processes and make you more efficient um and i like what yeah, RJ you... go ahead Ange. no i just say we, we work in a weird profession particularly me and sean but rj phones a little bit too everybody thinks they can do your job right everybody's worked out before everybody thinks they know how to eat every new injuries if the injury is bad enough people will generally listen to a sports medicine professional right but mm -hmm. bumps and bruises like i need to sit out for three days or i pull my quad i need to ice it but everybody thinks they know what to do in our professions whereas in reality you know there's 30 plus years of experience on the screen right now um, I'm not saying you don't know your body well. You you might, depending on on your situation. But I think a lot of times you want to refer that to an expert and get a little better opinion than just what you think feels good or what you did in the past that may have worked well for you 20 years ago. You know what I mean? And, and take the stress off of yourself, right? Like if you're, if you're the strength and conditioning coach and you have these practitioners, you have an athletic trainer, you have a sports psych, you have a dietitian, and you can delegate those tasks because they're the professional in that realm. And now you don't have to take that load on yourself because maybe you were the only one that was able to provide the information because there isn't somebody or getting to know, like you said, the people around you at other colleges. And maybe you have a dietitian that's not at your school, but it's, it's someone local that you could say like, Hey, I can only take you this far with this. And you may have to contact this person, you know, having those resources and having those people, if they are available to you and knowing how to contact them. And like both you said, building relationships and trust so you can kind of delegate those tasks with everybody it's going to make everyone feel a lot better because if you, RJ, if you do a great job and then Angela does a great job and let's say you had a dietitian and and they all, all three of us work together to help the athlete get to a common goal. And then all of us also communicate to each other to have a common front for the athlete, for that team. It's going to make a world of difference. Yeah, and definitely. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I always feel like, um, Maybe it's like young young professionals are really trying to prove themselves. Yeah. So they think that they that they have to know everything and they don't want to admit the, the things that they don't know, like what Angelo was was mentioning. And they do take on too much. It and it's something that comes with uh, I guess with experience, you become more comfortable in your own skin and you know what you don't know, and you're perfectly fine with set, you know, farming that particular question out or or going and seeking some advice on on something that you're really unfamiliar with yeah one of the strength coaches i worked with at uh, ing academy you know his big thing was like i'm the dumbest guy in the room i'm gonna come in i'm gonna listen to what everybody has to say and he goes a lot of the stuff i may or may not know but he goes i may take one thing away from that and he goes if i do then i just got one percent better today or i improve my skills or my toolbox of options that i could use with the athletes so it doesn't matter what age you are. And if you are young, ask lots of questions and don't be afraid to give off tasks if you don't feel like you can do it. Because yeah, if you're coming in, you feel like you're a hot shot, but then you're just super overwhelmed and you can't do your job at the level that you need to for whatever your specific task is. People around you, your staff, your coaches, your players, like they're going to see your body language. They're going to see how you react. They're going to see what that looks like. And after a while, like you're not going to be the hot shot anymore because they're going to know like, you can't handle all of these different rigors are getting put at you. Stay in your lane, do what's asked of you do that at a high level. And if you can't do something, you just got to ask for help. Or if you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of athletic trainer, you don't have a lot of strength conditioning coaches, 
how can you bring as much value to the program as possible to then hopefully show your athletic director or higher ups that you need more help because the rest of the teams are asking for it. Yeah. And, and asking for help is that's all part of having a growth mindset, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's okay to not know everything. Um, and, you know, just being honest with yourself and with others is probably the biggest, you know, probably the most important thing that you could do. Um, and if you, if you know that, Hmm, I need to learn a little bit more, I'm going to learn from somebody else that can, that can be the, you know, often the best way. Absolutely. Now, not only you guys do you jointly work on research, you guys have also jointly worked on a book. I'll see Angela mentioned that kind of very early on called finish strong. Um, and I know a lot of the, from us talking offline, the, the precedence there is, you know, getting obviously endurance athletes to get in the weight room and resistance train on top of many other things that I know you guys are probably going to discuss here, but from both of your guys' standpoint, where did that passion come from to together write this book to get this out to, let's say, the athletic training, sports meds, training, and conditioning community? It, it, it happened pretty organically. Back in the summer of 2018, we were we from probably 2011 or so until 2018, me and RJ were working on the same campus and running together probably between one and three days a week after work. And he would come in a weight room and lift. And we were just kind of talking about how in our in our you know, endurance world, that wasn't happening nearly enough, right? He's the he's the president of a pretty big triathlon club in New Jersey. I'm in the endurance world pretty heavily at the Jersey Shore. And we're talking about how many people are running, you know, 70, 80 miles a week and doing zero resistance training, right? Mm-hmm. And then you look at even at a pretty young age, you go back, you go to high school cross-country kids, and they're seeing overuse injuries, their bodies are breaking down, they're starting the season, you know, in a pretty good place physically. And just ending just physically, mentally exhausted from the season, emaciated, lost a ton of body weight, chronically dehydrated. And we're not saying you know, resistance training is a cure for all of those issues in endurance sports, but we think it's a cure for a lot of those issues, right? Because we're just seeing a lack of strength lead to poor performance. And if you look at the typical endurance athlete, you're looking at men and women that are pretty driven people, right? If you're going to wake up at four or five o'clock in the morning and run 20 miles or bike 50 miles before you go yeah. to a day job or go to school, you want to get it done, right? So we kind of wrote the book to keep that man or woman in mind. And here's the one thing that might be the missing piece of your puzzle to go from maybe running a 10K to running a marathon successfully, right? Maybe going from a, a half Ironman to an Ironman triathlon, maybe going just barely finishing a race to get on a podium and getting a medal and doing really good in your age group, right? That's kind of the idea. We're kind of acknowledging people are doing kind of every these other parts of their life right, and we want to be the, the next piece of the puzzle to help elevate their endurance curve to the next level by adding resistance training as part of their training routine. Yeah, and, and to piggyback off of that, Angela's right. It, it really was organic. And and it just so happened to be kind of like, you know, the the perfect two people to collaborate on this. You know, I, I have really more of the injury prevention point of view, and he's got the the sports performance point of view. And those are two reasons that you're going to perform strength and mobility training uh, as an endurance athlete. It's yeah, you are shooting to, uh, you know, be- become better and stronger in your age group. Um, but the other thing is you're looking for some career longevity and you use, you're looking to make it to the start line of all of these races. Um, you know, I was always complaining to him while we were on our runs of the numerous people that were contacting me. Oh, I'm hurt again. Um, I, I don't know if I can make this race. You know, my back is killing me this and that. And I'm just like, my first question, 
what have you been doing? You know, what have you been doing for this? Well, just a lot of swim, bike and run. And I'm just like, ugh, you know, where, where's the, where's the swim, bike, run and lift and, and, and also uh, do some, you know, mobility training uh, or some kind of yoga or something like that. So, um, you know, with, with all of this and the repetitive motions, you know, all of these are repetitive motion sports. And so eventually without having some strength, people's biomechanics break down, right? And so uh, knees start to get into faulty positions, shoulders start to get in faulty positions for, you know, for our swimmers. And then all of a sudden we have, we start to have some of these, you know, injuries occurring and stuff like that. So, um, you know, when, when we wrote the book, like that was, you know, my main focus was like, God, I got to get these people so that they're not getting stuck having to go to, you know, physical therapy and waste half their life there. Um, and then, uh, you know, just try to get them, you know, stronger. And then Angelo, like I said, he had, he had the, the, uh, the goal of, man, I just want these people to get stronger. Right. And I want them to, I want them to, uh, to improve in their age group and, you know, hopefully we can get some people start podium and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it worked out. Um, and we're, we're pleased with the product, with the, uh, with the book and how it came out. How, how do we then create buy-in compliance or just in general change that culture and mindset, right? Cause we probably, I'm, I'm sure you can tell me, but we're still probably seeing a lot of coaching, pushing them just to do those three things and still exclude a lot of the mobility, nutrition and strength and conditioning part. What have you guys done or what are you guys seeing maybe some options with this next generation of people coming up or even coaches that are still out there to try to change that mindset and thinking? I, I think the biggest thing, and this is, this is only my profession has done incorrectly for the last 50 years probably, right? We put strength over here and conditioning over here is for two completely different things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's got to create an environment where most endurance athletes, if you're in like a lifelong endurance athlete, that means you did swimming cross country when you were a kid and just stayed with that all across your, your adult life, you may have never been really exposed to the weight room, right? Now, what that also means is if you're a strength and conditioning coach or personal trainer, you may have never really done a particular work with any endurance athlete. So it creates this divide and a knowledge gap between the two populations, right? So we kind of did is we kind of want to meet our endurance athletes where they are now, not start screaming at them. You got to come in and squat the house and deadlift three plates. Now that if you can do that, great, right? It's great for you. But really, resistance training is using resistance you're comfortable with now and progressively overloading yourself to get a little bit stronger over any period of time, right? So if you start out with 10-pound dumbbells and next you have 12-pound dumbbells. That's good for you. That's you're making progress, right? And what we kind of did is we, we took the endurance athlete model and broke it down into a yearly periodization where we kind of assigned different times of the years. So we kind of assigned an off-season, a building a base, a peak mileage, and then a taper and kind of wrote it in the language endurance athletes are already speaking, right? So you're competing a couple races a year. You probably have your big race, your A event that you want to really PR in every year. And we kind of gave you the tools to put your year together together around that year and around that big event for the whole year right i think too many times what happened is uh resistance or endurance athletes that are interested in resistance training there's not a lot out there speaking that language right it's a lot of oh you got to do olympic lifts you got to do crossfit whatever it might you know wrong with that stuff but if it's not put in a, a perspective where they can break it down and make it fit in their current lifestyle. It's not something they're going to really be able to do. And what I always say, I identified pretty early, we identified together early on. 
most endurance athletes, ourselves included, deal steadily with two things, too much fatigue and too little time, right? If you're covering any real amount of mileage, whether it's on a bike, a pool, or your feet, if you're running, you're not going to have a ton of energy every day, right? You're burning a ton of calories while you're working out. Can we put workouts together that allow you to maximize the energy you have left of your endurance training to actually get stronger, make progress? And then we realize time is of the essence for everybody because we're not really writing for professional endurance athletes. We're writing for the, the man or woman that's running early in the morning, then going to a day job, then taking care of their kids, then going home, or the student that's running early and then going to class all day and doing homework after. So can we get, you know, two 40-minute sessions a week and maximize your time in the gym or the weight room and get the most out of your time and the most out of your available energy after you do all that endurance training. Yeah, and so in addition to, um, you know, trying to speak their language and and make sure that, you know, we're, we're that they understand that we, that we understand them as athletes. Um, I think, you know, overall, it's just, you try to educate them and then you basically take baby steps. So as a result of, of, uh, of the book, you know, I've been helping a, uh, a triathlon coach that he coaches 30 athletes and, um, and he said, Hey, I don't know anything about this stuff. And this is, this is what I love. Like some, here, here's a guy with a growth mindset. I know nothing about strength and mobility work. You want to, you want to come on and, and help me, you know, coach that part. And I said, sure. And so, and so I, I did it. And, you know, of course I wanted people, you know, I came in with, you know, big ideas of, I want, I want that. I want the athletes to do, you know, two, you know, 45 minute sessions, at least each week found out that just wasn't happening. So then I had to kind of knock things down and just go with a little bit more of a, a baby steps and and realize I'm I'm good with small wins. And so I would say a vast majority of them, I probably have them, you know, doing more like uh 10 minute core work because they're like, oh, that'll fit into my they appreciate that. They understand the importance of core. They might not understand the importance and embrace other things. And I said, you know what? If I can get them to do that, get them to do the mobility, uh, then I'm then I'm good. And, and so a lot of it is just, uh, some compromise and realize sometimes you got to work and just get those small wins. You might not be able to accomplish exactly the, per what you think is going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And you might have to just accept, you know, something that uh, a product that's a little bit, a, a little bit less, a little bit more watered down. So. And, and I think one thing too, with the compliance and buy-in that we talked about a minute ago, a lot of times it might be baby steps into what you really want to get done, right? It might start with a core work workout twice a week, then it leads into like two core workouts and one mobility session. Then we throw some, you know, put some resistance training on, but it bands and, and some light kettlebells. And then maybe over the course of a year that gets into maybe doing some squats, some RDLs, some, some push-ups, pull-ups, stuff like that. Uh, but just realize that, and the other than endurance athletes for the most part, they get to kind of set their ways, right? I'm a part, I do, I, I, every Monday I run seven miles. It works for me. Every Tuesday I, I do 300s, whatever it might be. And I don't really want to deviate from that, which I think there's something to be said for people that are very confident in their training and like what they're doing. And it makes them feel good. But also I think at some point, if you know, if you're, if you're always doing the same thing, you can't question why you're not getting better, right? So at some point, we got to try some new stuff. And not, not saying change everything, but make some little changes and hopefully take that, that next step.
And I like some key points you, you said there, right? We're, we're moving away from talking at the athlete. We're moving away from just yelling and giving the athlete orders, right? I think that's what we saw for a long period of time. And with this generation coming up, first and foremost, that, that doesn't really work anymore. They don't want to be spoke to like that. And that's probably not going to put you in a position that's going to help you create buy-in relationship and trust with them. You know, the second thing is you guys honed on a lot is their schedule. What is their current routine? What are they currently doing? And what are some small little additions that we can add to that current schedule and routine that they're doing right now? Can we hit small goals? Are they then getting some benefits from that? And then like you said, Ange, we're able to kind of keep adding layers or levels to what they're doing and they're continuously seeing improvement. Maybe their injury risk is down. They're running faster. They feel better, right? And now we got them hooked and locked in and they're just going to keep hopefully continuously keep coming back for more asking questions and what are other things that I, what are other tools that I could add to what you guys have already given me to continue to keep on this pace? Cause once an athlete feels better energy, once an athlete feels better performance or their strength, power and speed improves, like that's kind of my, my big three. I use in my athletes a lot when I ask them how they're feeling and those are either sustaining or moving in the direction of their goals. Then for a lot of the, for the most part, you typically have them pretty locked in. And that helps you for a lot of the things that you want to do for long-term. And if there's teammates you're having a really tough time with, right, that you as a coach or you as a practitioner are getting across and you're able to lock in a couple athletes that are bought into what you've done. Now you're maybe getting the athletes to speak for you to say, Hey, like you should definitely do this or buy into this because this is how this has helped me. And sometimes that athlete to athlete interaction can make a, a way bigger difference than even what we could ever say. I, I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree with that. And the other thing I think from my perspective that it, it's a little bit cliche, but it's true. Relationships are super important, right? I think if you're a strength coach or you know any of our jobs and you don't know a little bit about every kid, where they're from, what their major is, what a good time for them is in a race. So I saw you ran 2140. That's a good one for you, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard for them to take anything else you say seriously, right? So at Tino, with 250 student athletes, I pride myself on knowing a lot about each kid. So when they come in the weight room, it's not just, all right, today we're doing squat, bench, deadlift, clean, whatever it is. It's, hey, how was that chemistry test? I heard, you know, I, I saw your mom at the game the other day. How's she, how's she doing this trip? How'd they get home safe or whatever it is. Um, Cause yeah, you know, I, we have a unique job on campus. So I was back, you know, through us back in college athletics. So we, I'm not saying we gotta be their friends, but we, we're part of their support system, right? Yep. And I think I want to be I got, the cliche I was used is a lot of strength coaches are happy when they break a kid, get a kid to give up, get a kid to wave the white flag, get a kid to quit the team sometimes. And my thing is when a, when a college, a student athlete, it doesn't work out, it's a, a straw broke the camel's back somewhere, right? Too many strength coaches want to be that straw. I want to help the camel's back get stronger. Right. I want to help that kid, man or woman, get better over four years, have a great career and want to shake my hand and thank me for it. Dan, not walk out hating me when they graduate. Yeah, like my big thing is what environment did the kid come from in the first place? Right. Maybe, maybe they're not acting or reacting or doing the things you want because of the upbringing and the support that they had. And they don't have the skills and they just don't know how to act or do things at that level. So it's your job as a practitioner to teach and educate them how to do it. And even though you, like another team, you may think it's stupid. You're looking at them. You're like, why do they not know this already? It's because a lot of them just don't know. 
So you have to think back to a literally basement level concept with some of these guys coming in because they've never had any of these resources, any of these people ever before. Obviously, you go to some of these huge places, they have all the resources. And sometimes you may just have, let's say, a strength coach and athletic trainer. But if that person came from a high school where they had nothing and now they have something and now people are trying to hold them accountable and keep them on a schedule and keep them on a routine, they've never had to do that their entire lives, right? That's going to be a different stressor for them because they're not used to doing that. So to like get on them and not get to know them first is going to make it hard for them to adapt and want to want to buy in essentially. So kind of one of one of the final questions I want to wrap up because time's kind of winding down here is, um, you know, have you have you brought the this concept with the book to a conference? Um, and and I know we've talked about this on, offline too as well as. You know, we see kind of a lot of these conferences in their styles, right? We have the strength conference, we have the athletic trainer conference, we have the nutrition conference, but we don't always see collaboration where practitioners are going to other people's conferences, right? And 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 speaking in a way where those practitioners can understand what you're saying so they can apply it based on their setting. Could you guys talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, to answer your first question was, have we taken it to a uh, to a conference? I know that Angelo has presented uh, on the book um, at multiple conferences. We haven't done anything together. Um, you know, it's it's tricky. And in in some of our chat offline uh, prior to 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 doing the podcast here, I think we had discussed that you know not all not all the conferences have the ability or they don't have the sessions available with you know a multi for a multidisciplinary team to to talk which is kind of weird um i'd say my favorite conference to go to is the american college of sports medicine because it is it is so diverse mm -hmm. um you know i go to the athletic training conference and it's just not it's just not very diverse i'm getting you know all all of the speakers are either uh, an athletic trainer or some kind of an orthopedic physician. So it's hard, it's hard to get that. And I don't, I don't know why um, I, I would love to see more sessions um, where they are multidisciplinary in nature. I'm not sure uh, what Angelo has to say on that, but I do know that he's, he's a, um, the NSCA rep for the state of New Jersey and puts on conferences. And I know that he welcomes a format like that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I presented the book at a bunch of conferences, and then probably as, as part of the result of that, I was elected the New Jersey State Director of the NSCA last year, right? So I put on two pretty big events in New Jersey since I got to the position, and I go into it with the goal of I want to have these boxes checked, right? So for me, I think we're gonna have six speakers. I want to have two or three high school, college, or pro strength and conditioning coaches speaking, right? And then I want to cover the nutrition side of things, the tech side of things, GPS and force plates and stuff like that. You've got to be having that conversation now. And then the tactical world is a very big thing with the NSA right now as far as firemen, police officers, or military men and women. Um, I'm trying to cover that and address that. And the last thing I want to try to address every conference is the business of what we do, right? I think the NSA does a great job of putting out data and research and how to put a workout together. We don't do a great job of teaching people how to get jobs or how to make a dollar doing this thing that we all love so much. So I try to always have at least one speaker address. This is my my franchise training center and this is how I make money and what we do, which whether we want to admit it or not, 
is a very big determinant of whether people can stay in our professions long-term or not. So I try to cover all those bases. That being said, you know, if you're a 20 year college strength coach, like myself, you might not be super interested in the guy or girl talking about tactical training for firefighters. But also, I think if you can open your mind a little bit and look at the demands those guys and girls are on, men and women are under, you can probably apply some of that to what you're doing. So I do think, I, obviously, I'm saying the NSA could probably get a little better at that. I'm trying to do my piece to leave the position better than I found it and, and pull in more disciplines and make things a little more. We use the term interdisciplinary a lot. Can we do it at the conference level? I think we can, and I'm trying to do it and chip away at it and get better at it with every event I produce. And I like what you said there. I think getting figuring out how to get a seat at the table is very important. The better we can understand the organization, the business, how that functions and runs, then that puts us in a better position to have those types of conversations that we need. If there's something that the department or the organization needs, it's going to essentially then help the athlete, right? It's kind of like I've, I've talked about with a couple of different guests I've had on, like when I've come into my position I'm at now, like I have to understand what are the business problems that I could possibly solve from, from my specific area for nutrition? What is my high performance staff need, my coaches, my operations, how can I serve them there? And then if I can solve problems and help both of these kind of like tier one, tier two, that's going to then hopefully put me in a better position to get the resources or get enough support to be able to then provide the athletes to the best of my ability, everything that they would possibly need that's going to be similar or in some cases more than even maybe some of those high division one or even professional level so that hopefully they can then get the exposure at a sooner, a sooner time frame to make them more prepared as they transition up to those higher levels of play. But um, really appreciate both of you guys for coming on. I know there's several other things that we can definitely discuss. Um, so there may be a part two here. We talk about jumping and you guys both come on later. I know there's a lot on the injury return to play work-life balance that we wanted to go through. Um, so we can definitely talk online. I'm, I'm possibly doing a second part to further kind of deep dive into that. Um, but really appreciate both of you guys taking your time. Um, I think a lot of uh, practitioners are going to appreciate this episode. Just it sees three different practitioners talking together, talking shop and figuring out how we can work together to, again, at the end of the day, our, what our overall goal is to best serve the athlete. And that's what we're all here for. And that's what we're all trying to do is, is just make them a better human being and put them in a better position so they can be a better athlete as they progress through. Sounds good, man. Thank you very much. Thanks again for having us. It was, uh, it was a pleasure.